Escape Pod. Episode 211. Today's story. Cardago Melinda Est. By Genevieve Valentine. Hi, welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Alistair, and this week's story comes to us from Genevieve Valentine. Genevieve's work has appeared regularly as a columnist in Fantasy Magazine, and she currently works as a blogger at Tor.com. Her recent fiction has been published, or is forthcoming, in Strange Horizons, Fantasy, Farago's Wainscot, and the Interfictions 2 Online Annex. So, put your best formal wear on, because everything is just about to change. It's story time. Carthago de Lenda Est by Genevieve Valentine Ren Hex Yemeni woke early. They had to teach her everything from scratch, and there wasn't time for her to learn anything new before she hit fifty and had to be expired. Watch it, the other text told me when I was starting out. You don't want a hex on your hands. By then, we were monitoring Ren Hepta Yemeni. She fell into bed with Dorado Ambassador 214, though I don't know what he did to deserve it, and she didn't even seem sad when he expired. When they torched him, she went over with the rest of the delegates, and they bowed or closed their eyes, or pressed their tentacles to the floors of their glass cases, and afterwards they toasted him with champagne or liquid nitrogen. Before we expired Hepta, later that year, she smiled at me. Make sure Octa's not ugly, okay? Just in case. For 215. Ren Octa Yemeni hates him, so it's not like it matters. It's worse early on. Octa and Dorado 215 stop short of declaring war. No warring country is allowed to meet the being from Carthage when it arrives. Those are the rules, but it comes close. Every time she goes over to the Dorado ship, she comes back madder. Once, she got him halfway into an airlock before security arrived. We reported it as a chem malfunction. I took the blame for improper embryonic processes. A lie. They were perfect. And the Dorado accepted the apologies. No questions. Dorado 208 killed himself way back. They know how mistakes can happen. Octa spends nights in the tech room, scanning through footage of Hepta Yemeni and Dorado 214 like she's looking for something, like she's trying to remember what Hepta felt. I don't know why she tries. She can't. None of them can. They don't hold on to anything. That's the whole point. The astronomers at the Institute named the planet Carthage when they discovered it floating in the Oort cloud like a wheel of garbage. They thought it was already dead. But the message came from there. It's how they knew to look in the cloud to begin with. There was a message there in every language, singing along the light like a phone call from home. It was a message of peace, they say. It's confidential. Most people never get to hear it. I wouldn't even believe it's real, except that all the planets heard it, and agreed. Every last one of them threw a ship into the sky to meet the ship from Carthage when it came. Every year they show us the video of Ren Alpha Yemeni, the human, the original, taking the oath. 
Stretched out behind her are the ten thousand civilians who signed up to go into space and not come back, to cultivate a meeting they'd never see. I, Ren Alpha Yemeni, Delegate of Earth, do solemnly swear to speak wisely, feel deeply, and uphold the highest values of the human race, as Earth greets the ambassador of Carthage. At the end she smiles and her eyes go bright with tears. The speech goes on, but I just watch her face. There's something about Alpha that's more alive than the copies. They designated her with a letter just to keep track, but it suits her anyway. The Alpha, the leader, the strong first. Octa has a little of that sometimes, but she'll probably be expired by the time Carthage comes, and who knows if it will ever manifest again. There's something in Alpha's eyes that's never been repeated. Something bright and determined, excited, happy. It makes sense, I guess. She's the only one of the Yemenis who chose to go. Everybody sent ships. Everybody. We'd never heard of half the planets that showed up. You wonder how amazing the message must be to get them all up off their asses. Dorado was in place right away, that whole planet as kiss-asses, which is why they were already on iteration 200 when we got there. Dorado and machines have to pop out a new one every 20 years. My ancestors did better work on our machines. They generate a perfect Yemeni every 50 years on the dot, except for poor Hex. There's always one dud. Dorado spends their time trying to scrounge up faster tech or better blueprints, and we give our information away because those were the rules and the message. But they just take... They haven't given us anything since their dictionary. WX-16 from Sexton's A sent their royal house, an expendable younger son and his wife, and a collection of nobles, to keep the bloodline active until the messenger arrived. We don't deal with them. They think it's coarse to clone. NGC-2808... We can't pronounce it, and sometimes it's better not to try. Came out of Canis Major and surprised everyone, since we didn't even think there was life out there. They've only been around a few years. Hepta never met them. Their delegate is in stasis. Whenever that poor sucker wakes up, he's going to have some unimpressed ambassadors waiting to meet him. They should never have come with only one. Zvelhi, who booked it all the way from Cygnus, keep to themselves. Their atmosphere is too heavy for people with spines. They look like jellyfish, no mouths, and it took us a hundred and ten years to figure out their language. The dictionary they sent us was just an anatomical sketch. Hepta cracked it because of something Tetra Yemeni had recorded about the webs of their veins shifting when they were upset. The Sveli think we're a bunch of idiots for taking so long, which is fine. I think they're a bunch of mouthless creeps evens out. Neptune sent a think tank themselves, like they were a real planet and not an Earth colony. They've never said how they keep things going on that tiny ship, if it's cloning or bioreproduction or what. Every generation they elect someone for the job, and I guess whenever Carthage shows up, they'll put forward the elected person and hope for the best. Brave bunch, Neptune. Better them than us. Centauri was the smartest planet. They sent an AI. 
You know the AI isn't sitting up nights worrying itself into early expiration. It's not bothered by a damn thing. Okta makes rounds to all the ships. She's the only one of them who does it, and it works. Canis Major sent us help once, when we had the ventilation problem on the storage levels. She didn't ask for help. They're not obliged to share anything but information. But when she came back, an engineer was with her. Trust me, I know everything about refrigeration, he said. And after the computer had translated the joke, everybody laughed and shook his hand. Octa stood beside him like a mother, until they had taken him into the tunnels. And then she tucked her helmet under her arm like she was satisfied. They're good people, she said to the shuttle pilot, who was making a face. With no ambassador to keep them going, they must feel so alone. Give them a chance to do good. I've got the scan ready, I said. I scan her every time she comes back from somewhere else. It's a precaution. You never know what's going on outside your own ship. Let's be quick, then, she said, already walking down the corridor. I have to make some notes, and then I need to talk to Centauri. Centauri's AI is Octa's favorite ship. She's there far more often than she needs to be. Easier to come to decisions when it's just a matter of facts, she said. Octa did a lot of planning early on, like she had a special purpose beyond what Alpha had promised, like time was short. Of all the copies, she was the only one who ever seemed to worry that her clock was ticking down. All the Yemenis have been different, which is unavoidable, even though each one has the aggregated information of previous iterations. Without the emotional hangover, it can get messy. Like Hepta and Dorado 214. Human error in every copy. It's the reason her machines all have parameters instead of specs. Some things you never can tell. Poor Hex. It's hard on them, of course. After fifty years, it all starts to fall apart, no matter what you do. And you have to shut one down and start again. But it's the best way we have to give her a lifetime of knowledge in a few minutes. And we don't want Carthage to come when we're unprepared. I don't know what's in the memories, what they show her each time she wakes. That's for government guys, techs, mind their own business. There's a documentary about how they picked Alpha for the job, 400 years back. One man went on and on about the human aesthetic and put up a photo of what a woman would look like if every race had an influence in the facial features. Almost perfect. It's like they chose her for her looks, he says, laughing. Like Carthage is going to know if she's pretty. Carthage is probably full of big amoebas, and when they meet her, they'll just think she's nasty and fragile and full of teeth. They have a picture of Alpha up in the lab anyway, for reference. No one looks at it anymore. Nobody needs to. When I look in the mirror, I see a Yemeni first, and then my own face. I have my priorities straight. Renyameni is why we're here. And the reason none of us have complained in four hundred years is because she knows what she owes us. She's seen the video, too, with those ten thousand people who gave up everything because someone told them the message was beautiful. No matter what her failings are, she tries to learn everything she can each time, to move diplomacy forward, to be kind 
except to Dorado215, but we all hate those ass-kissers, so it doesn't matter. She knows what she's here to do. It's coded deeper than her IQ, than her memories. Somewhere inside her we can't even reach. Duty is built into their bones. Alpha passed down something wonderful to all of them. Octa doesn't look like Alpha. Not at all. Just before Dorado 215 hits his 20-year expiration, he messages a request that Octa accompany him on an official visit to the Svelhi. There's something he wants to show them. He thinks they'll be interested. Everyone asks her to go when they have to talk to Svelhi. We gave everyone the code once we cracked it. We promised to exchange information fair and square, but no one else is as good at it, and they need the help. The Yemenis have a knack for language. I hate him, she says as I strap her into her suit. It's new, our engineers made it to withstand the pressure in this Velhi ship. It's the most amazing human tech we've ever produced. Earth will be proud when they get the message. If peace didn't require me to go, she says, frowns. I hope that they see what he's offering won't help anyone. It never does. She sounds tired. I wonder if she's been up nights with the playback again. It's okay, I say. You can hate him if you want. No one expected you to love him like the last one did. It's better not to carry the old feelings around. You live longer. He's different, she says. It's terrible how it's changed him. All clones feel that way sometimes, I say. Peril of the job. Here's your helmet. She takes it and smiles at me a thank you before she pops it over her head and activates the seal. I feel like a snowman, she says, which is what Hepta used to say. I wonder if anyone told Octa, or if she just remembered it from somewhere. I stay near the biomed readout while she's on this Velhi ship. If anything starts to fail, the suit tells us. If her lungs have collapsed from the pressure, there's not much we can do, but at least we'll know. And we can wake up the next one. Her heart rate speeds up. Quick, sharp spikes on the readout like she's having a panic attack. But that happens whenever Dorado215 says something stupid. After a while, it's just a little agitation, and soon she's safely back home. She stands on the shuttle platform for a long time without moving, and only after I start toward her does she wake up enough to switch off the pressure in the suit and haul her helmet off. I stop where I am. I don't want to touch her. I've worked too hard on them to handle them. Everything all right? She's frowning into middle space, not really seeing me. There's nothing on the ship we could use as a weapon? Strange question. I guess we could crash the shuttle into someone, I say. I can ask the engineers. No, she says. No need. It was part of the message, the first rule. No war before Carthage comes. We don't even have armed security, just guys who train with their hands, ready in case Octa tries to shove any more people in airlocks. She hasn't done that in a while. She's getting worn down. It happens to them all nearer the end. There's been no war for four hundred years, she says as we walk, shaking her head. 
Have we ever gone that long before without fighting? Any of us? Nope, I grin. Carthage is the best thing that hasn't happened to us yet. Her helmet is tucked under one arm, and she looks down at it like it will answer her. The delegate meeting happens every decade. It wasn't mandated by Carthage. Ren Tetriyameni began it as a way for delegates to have a base of reference, and to meet. No one has ever seen the new Neptunian elect since they picked her two years back, and they have to introduce Dorado to 16. We're not allowed to hear what they talk about. It's none of our business. It's government stuff. But we hang around in the hallways just to watch them filling in, the humanoids and the Zvelhis puttering past in their cases. The Centauri AI has a hologram that looks like a stick insect with wings, and it blinks in and out as the signal from his ship gets spotty. I cover my smile, though. That computer sees everything. On the way in, Dorado 216 leans over to Okta. You won't say anything, will you? It would be war. No, she says. I won't say anything. It's just in case, he goes on, like she didn't already give him an answer. There's no plan to use them. We're not like that. It's not like that. You never know what Carthage's plans are, is all. Then, more quietly, I trusted you. 215 trusted me, she says. You want someone to trust you? Try the next Yemeni. Watch it, he says. A warning. After a second, she frowns at him. How can you want war after all this effort? He makes a suspicious face before he turns and walks into the reception room with the rest of them. Okta stands in the hall for a second before she follows him, shoulders back and head high. Yemenis know their duties. After the delegate meeting, Okta takes a trip to the Centauri AI. She's back in a few hours. She didn't tell anyone why she was going. Just looked sad to have come back. Sometimes I think Okta's mind is more like a computer than any of them, even more than Alpha. I wonder if I made her that way by accident, wishing better for them, wishing for more. In the mess, the pilots grumble that it was a waste of shuttle fuel. That program shows up anywhere they need it to, one of them says. Why did we have to drive her around like she's one of the queens on Sexton? They should expire these copies before they go crazy, man. Maybe she was trying to give us a break from your ugly face, I say. There's a little standoff at the table between the pilots and the techs until one of the language ops guys smooths things over. I stay angry for a long time. The pilots don't know what they're talking about. Yemenis do nothing by mistake. Alpha was the most skilled diplomat on the planet. They don't say so in the documentary. They talk about how kind she is and how sweet she is and how she looks like a mix of everyone, and if you just listened to what they were saying, you'd think she hardly deserved to go. There were a lot of people in line, astronauts and prime ministers and bishops, all clamoring for the privilege. And she got herself picked. She got picked above every one of them. She was the most skilled diplomat who ever lived. She could work out anything, I bet. There's an engineer down five levels who looks good to me, is smart enough, and we get married. We have two kids. 
Someone will have to watch over the Yemenis when I'm gone. Someone with my grandfather's talents for calibrating a needle. We've been six generations at Ren Yemeni's side. We celebrate four hundred years of peace. All the delegates put a message together to be played in every ship for the civilians. For some of them, it's the first they've heard of the other languages. Everyone on the ship, twelve thousand strong, watches raptly from the big hangar in the gymnasium level, from the tech room and the bridge. They go one by one, and I recognize our reception room as the camera pans from one face to another. They talk about peace, about their home planets, about how much they look forward to all of us knowing the message when Carthage comes. Ren Octa Yemeni goes last. I hope that as we today are wiser than we were, so tomorrow we will be wiser than we are, she says. Dorado 216 looks like he wants to slap her. She says, I hope that when our time comes to meet Carthage, we may say that we have fulfilled the letter and spirit of its great message, and we stand ready for a bright new age. Everyone in the tech room roars applause. Yemenis know how to talk to a crowd. Just before the video shuts off, it shows all the delegates side by side. Akta is looking out the window, towards something none of us can see. One night, a year before she's due to be expired, I find Akta in the development room. She's watching the tube where Inea is gestating. Inea's almost grown, and it looks like Akta staring at her own reflection. Four hundred years without a war, she says. All of us at a truce, talking and learning, waiting for Carthage. Carthage will come, I promise, glancing at Inea's pH readout. I hope we don't see it, she says, frowns into the glass. I hope, when it comes, all of us are long dead, and better ones have taken their places. Some people twist on themselves if you give them any time at all. Decca and Hendeca are in twos behind us, smaller and reserved, eyes closed. They're not ready. We won't even need them until I'm dead. Though it shouldn't matter, I care less for them than I do for Aenea, less than I do for Octa, who's watching me. Octa, who seems to think none of them are worthy of Carthage at all. She's been losing faith for years. None of these copies are like Alpha. They all do their duty, but she believed. At the fifty-year mark, Octa comes in to be expired. She hands over the recording device, and the government guys disappear to their level to put together the memory flux for Anea, who will wake up tonight and need to know. You shouldn't keep doing this. She tells me as we help her onto the table and adjust the IV. There are no restraints. The Yemenis don't balk at what they have to do, duty is in their bones. But Okta looks sad. Even sadder than when she found out that the one before her had loved someone who was already dead. It's fine, I say. It's the best way. One session of information, and she's ready to face Carthage. But... She won't remember something if I don't record it. She won't know. Octa's always been a little edgy. I try to sound reassuring. No, she won't feel a thing. 
forget Dorado. There's nothing to worry about. Octa looks like she's going to cry. What if there's something she needs to know? I'll get you a recorder, I say, and I start to hold up my hand for the sound tech, but she shakes her head and grabs my sleeve. I drop my arm, surprised. No one else has even noticed. They're already starting the machines to wake up the next one, and Octa and I might as well be alone in the room. After a second, she frowns, drops my hand, makes fists at her side like she's holding back. The IV drips steadily, and around us everyone is laughing and talking, excited. They seem miles away. Octa hasn't stopped watching me. Her eyes are bright, her mouth drawn. Have you seen the message? She must know I haven't. I shake my head. I hold my breath, wondering if she's going to tell me. I've dreamed about it my whole life, wondering what Alpha knew that made her cry with joy four hundred years ago. It's beautiful, she says, and her eyes are mostly closed, and I can't tell if she's talking to me or just talking. The IV is working. Sometimes they say things. She says, I don't know how anyone could take up a weapon again after seeing the message. Without thinking, I put my hand over her hand. She sighs. Then, so quietly that no one else hears, Octa says, I hope that ship never comes. Her face gets tight and determined. She looks like Alpha, exactly like, and I almost call out for them to stop. It's so uncanny. Something must be wrong. But nothing is wrong. She closes her eyes and the biofeed flatlines. The tech across the room turns off the alarm on the main bank, and it's over. We flip on the anti-grav, and one of the techs takes her down to the incinerator. He comes back, says the other delegates have lined up in the little audience hall outside the incinerator, waiting to clap and drink champagne. It's always a long night after an expiration, but it's what we're here to do, and it's a good, solid work moving and monitoring and setting up the influx for Yemeni's first night. Nobody wants a delay between delegates. You never know when the Carthage is going to show up. We think another four hundred years, but it could be tomorrow. Stranger things have happened. Ren Anea Yemeni needs to be awake, just in case. She'll have things to do when Carthage comes. Everything will be different after the singularity. Humanity will be changed completely by the arrival of nanotechnology. The world will be unrecognizable 50 years from now. But what about now? A friend of mine recently pointed out that people were complaining about their lack of jetpacks. 
and doing so online, which he found more than a little ironic. After all, why should I have to wait for total utopian technological and societal change? I mean, I have the right to be angry about the fact I don't have a hovercar, and crucially, I absolutely have the right to complain about that on a global telecommunications network that I access through my mobile phone that also stores thousands of songs, some films, is a camera, a video camera, and fits in the breast pocket of my shirt. You can see where he's going with this. His point, and mine, and at least one of the points this story makes, is this. The future is always just about to happen, always a fast-forward way, an eye-blink ahead, a gossamer web of possibility and potential that anyone can shape and no one can quite touch. Everything is about to happen, and nothing quite does, and that can be very depressing. But consider this. A company in Germany is constructing beautiful robotic penguins and jellyfish that swim through the air to find out how to use natural propulsion and movement to make better robots. In England, the first prototype of a nanotech pharmaceutical delivery system that walks up the patient's DNA is being developed, whilst in Europe an AI is being taught how to be evil so we can better understand criminal psychology. Slowly, the future isn't being built, but grown wrapping itself around the present until it's all we can see and we can no longer remember life before it. The future really is now. All we have to do is keep our eyes open. There are three models of Escape Artists podcast. Oh, come on. I'm the only guy with an English accent on staff. Who else was going to make the Baltar jokes? You are, of course, listening to Escape Pod, the premier science fiction anthology podcast on the internet. Our fantasy podcast, Podcastle, is run by Rachel Swirsky and Anne Leckie, and consistently presents some of the best, smartest fantasy out there. Meanwhile, at the dark end of the street, Pseudopod, our horror show, edited by the mighty Ben Phillips and hosted by someone who sounds an awful lot like me, presents the best in modern horror. Just remember to sleep with the light on, and you'll be fine. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is released through a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. If you want to donate, please click on our PayPal link. If you'd like to talk about our stories, go check out the forum, which again is linked on the front page. And if you've not checked out Podcastle or Pseudopod, please do so. Our closing quote this week comes from William Shakespeare's Timon of Athens. The future comes apace. What shall defend the interim? We'll see you next week. So until then... Have fun.